Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Serie Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. <laughs> Gang, and welcome to our latest Syria Chronicles Q and A mailbag. It is Minaki Bandini, and as always, I have with me Mina Rizuki. Hey, Mina, how are you, guys? Have you noticed that I have like a little power over Nikki when I say "as always," she says "as always," but when I say "as ever," I she'll say "as ever." <laughs> Oh my goodness. I hadn't noticed that. Is that like Darren Brown level brain. mind games going <laughs> yes. on? Do you know, I, it's a long time. So I feel like Darren Brown isn't a thing anymore, but Darren Brown, um, our producer Simon Pro has no idea who Darren Brown is. Uh, Darren Brown is like one of those sort of um, mind control. He always says he's not a psychic, but like mind control people who had a moment when he was very sort of on TV constantly in England and doing stage shows and stuff. And some very impressive stage shows, but I actually got... Uh, call out of the crowd to go on stage um oh did you and it, it didn't work on me um like he, oh. he got a bunch of us up at the same time and like uh and we had to this is so far off track of this podcast I don't even know how <laughs> we've got here but here we are um we we like had to start off like one of the things you do like got people out randomly out of the crowd which is like throwing paper balls around and then once you're up on stage you had to hold like a metal nut on a, on a string and then we were told like to move it with our mind, but not move our arms. And um, I was not able to move it with my mind. I would, I would argue because other people would be just moving their arms and not realizing they were moving their arms because they were susceptible to his suggestion. And, and therefore honest. he kept those people on stage because those are the ones that he then could do the other things with. That's just speculation. I'm not uh, Darren Brown. And uh, I bet if it was me getting you to move it with your mind, you wouldn't. I'm joking. <laughs> Maybe you've just got a rubbish mind that won't move a won't move a metal uh, nut on a string. I don't know. It could be. You a, never a say that about yourself. Mind. You have a wonderful mind. Listen, <laughs> I, listen. Like Matilda was like 
very possibly my favorite kid uh, kids that growing up so like I wish I could do that stuff I spent plenty of time looking at a pencil and trying to make it move but I'm not Matilda so <laughs> I love that you did that oh 100% I wanted to be telepathic that would be amazing um right let's do a question since this is the Q&A podcast Mina we, we're at um we're, we're, we're clearly in a in a silly mood today everyone sorry sorry Hey, Nikki and Mina, we've got an email. Do you know we've got an email from Mina? You're going to be excited. We've got an email from Jill, your <gasps> favourite one named... Madonna! <laughs> up with Jared. Um, <laughs> Patreon Tifozo. Oh, yay, I'm so excited. Jill says, <laughs> she was so excited when we released our podcast. Thank you, Jill. That's so lovely to hear. Yeah. Uh, loves hearing us discuss Syria. And thank you, Mina, for making me laugh by making fun of my first name only signature like Madonna. Oh my God. Oh She's literally, literally inside, <laughs> inside your head and vice versa. Um, a question for when travel becomes more normal. What is your favorite Syria stadium to visit from a neutral perspective? Oh, um, well, it depends on what you're looking for. If it's atmosphere, then there's nothing yeah. that beats Sensi at all, right? Um, in the sense of like, you know, just, just to, if you watch like a big match, I mean, you just, all you needed to see really was how Milan fans were waiting for the, the Milan players in, in the game yesterday against Juventus and the greeting that everyone gets and the fire and the, and it's just like a stadium that just vibrates when there's a lot of like action. And I, I mean, it was better when they had Fossa Leone. They, they, their ultras made it even more atmospheric. But it's just a wonderful stadium to go to. Um, I've actually seen a lot more Milan games there than I've seen Inter, which is very interesting. But it's definitely my favorite stadium in Italy. I, yeah, Juve Stadium's nice, you know, in, in terms of the big teams. But it doesn't, it doesn't come. To San Siro. Now, here's an interesting one. I actually really like um, the Bentegodi. <laughs> it's like the worst stadium in the world. <laughs> and uh, I think it was voted as one of the worst in Italy as well. I mean, I don't even remember there being bathrooms. I actually fainted the first time I went there as well. Um, oh, no, that's not true. Oh, I fainted I fainted as well when I went there with the ESPNs. <laughs> I have a history of fainting because it gets really hot in August. And there's no ventilation and the press room has no um, AC. So it's horrendous in that level. But because because I'm so in love with Verona, maybe that's what it is. I just love the opportunity to be able to go there. And I and I, I like the where the journalists sit. And I don't know, I just, I guess I've always sort of, it was the first time I'd watched Ronaldo play. So maybe I have like a special memory of the Bentagodi. What about you? Oh, Artemio your fiance. I think is really nice yeah I think um there's there's sort of so many like thoughts that come into my head with a question like this I mean the honest answer is the most boring answer which is San Siro because San Siro is the stadium that I always say this like when I stand underneath San Siro like the hair stands up on my neck like yeah. I think it's such a an imposing um like heavy concrete venue that's also despite being heavy concrete quite beautiful especially yeah. when it's lit up at night that it just it it makes me sort of makes me dizzy like I love it and um tingle 
the inside as well. Like it's got these sort of steep, steep stands looking down at the pitch that, that again, like they can almost make you feel a bit a vertigo up there, but it, it's such a dramatic setting for a big football game and the atmosphere inside it on the big nights is, is really like, like few others I've, I've known in the world. But, you know, I, I have things that I'm fond about in, in lots of different stadiums. I think if you want like a pure tourist experience, we've talked about it already this season on another podcast, Venezia and that um, yeah. rickety little stadium in the middle of the lagoon where you can have that view out across and you can see the Dolomites in the background. It's it's barely a stadium. It's it's some some metal bleachers and and some concrete bleachers, but but the experience of, of traveling there on a vaporetto and 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 see and and seeing out like that is is astonishing. I'm personally extremely fond of the Delaras at Bologna Stadium because my family is from uh, not from Bologna, but they're from Emilia Romagna, and so it's a stadium that that I sort of got to see up close. It is very sort of one of the coziest stadiums, um, I think, and. And of course, in terms of, again, you're asking about when travel becomes more normal, I, I tell everyone to go to Bologna because Bologna, in my opinion, and I know Gab Marcotti would disagree with me, it's the best place to eat in all of Italy. I think you get the best pasta oh, in all of Italy. Sure. And so sure. go to Bologna, stuff yourself silly with fresh pasta and have a nice day trip to the, the Dallara. But the other, you know, one that I don't even think this is probably on my list particularly, but I just, when I, when this question came into my head and I was thinking about different experiences at different Italian football stadiums I've had, and I was thinking about, again, what is essentially a terrible football stadium in terms of like not being modern, not being particularly comfortable, but the, um, the Stadio Olimpico in Turin, the, the, now the Grande Torino, oh. which is not much of a stadium, but I just have in my image, that. in my head, the image the last time I was there, um, this image of the curva, which is like a few of the Italian curva, I find astonishingly loud for being a not very well designed stadium that's far from the pitch that doesn't have um, great acoustics. Astonishingly loud curva, and I just have this really powerful visual of the last time I was there because under the curva, where the running track is, like before the game, you had kids like having a kickabout and like with their dads and 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 and, and their mums and and like that sort of again, fairly chaotic, probably can't happen now with COVID. Actually, the sort of thing that I doubt is still happening. But that experience of, of being there and, and, and seeing that and thinking, well, isn't that what football's about though? Like, you know, when you're a kid, yeah, someone's taking you to the game, but actually you're just having a kick about and, and then you watch your heroes do it. I remember thinking that was a really sort of a moment that stayed with me. So lots of stadiums. Um, for me, because it's an excuse to go to Bologna, I say go to the ladder, but um, Look, um, there, there's there's things to love about different stadiums all over Italy, and if you just want the one that's going to leave the, the impression on you that lasts a lifetime, it probably still is San Siro, even though that's maybe the boring answer. Can can I say something? When when my mom and dad were younger, my mom said that every time she lost my dad, he'd be somewhere in Bologna trying to eat. So that is that is definitely something. Smart <laughs> man, God! I mean, she should have been there with him. <laughs> yeah. um, but she, they really love pizza as well. So they love the food and pizza. I don't. They're really obsessed with pizza in general. Pizza's lovely, and that's a trip you can do the two things together. Exactly, like they're really close. So. So we used to, I mean, I've done that trip so many times with my parents when I was younger. Um, it's definitely one of their favorite, favorite places to go. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on all of those. 
Okay, next question, and this is from Michael Betts, ooh, Chronicles Tifoso Patreon member. Um, welcome, welcome, and thank you. Hello, I am happy to support your Patreon. <laughs> Great discussion of the Dybala situation this week. I was wondering, in your opinion, at what point should a club stop paying its players for their talent and start looking at their on-field production? I can see paying a 20 to 23-year-old because you believe in his talent will grow into a world-class player. But at 28, I would be paying a forward for the number of goal contributions rather than for the occasional amazing play. Goals don't tell the whole story, but Dybala's last season, where he was significantly more productive than in senior, was 2017 to 2018. What do you think, Nikki? I, I think this is a really interesting way of framing this question. Um it's he's essentially essentially asking um, Michael essentially asking us you know where you know where do you stop paying for promise and I, I think it's it's just one of those answers unfortunately that's not easy to give in a sort of um, in a sort of blanket way I think it's it's slightly a, a how long is a piece of string question because I, I sort of feel like I might share what Michael is driving out here which is the the feeling that maybe Dybala, um who hasn't I would say overall lived up to the, the level of, of expectation we had for him um, becomes a harder and harder prospect to justify spending the money on every year and and giving a, a long contract to, especially because I don't expect to see some transformation in terms of what he's able to provide at this point in his career. I think that when we strip something down to just numbers, which is what's sort of being suggested in the last sort of part of that question. Goal contributions, we get into really sort of complicated territory for clubs because the statistics that we talk about journalistically, um, goals and assists, they're, they're very noisy statistics. Um, of course, great players like your Ronaldo's are so good that they just put up a huge number of goals every year. But actually the, the the number of goals a player score, the number of assists they get for a lot of players can can swing quite a lot on on small details. And clubs themselves are often more interested in in other details, such as expected goals certainly being again a pretty obvious one. Distance covered, uh, the positions they're putting themselves in. Um, that there's so much more sort of nuance behind the obvious numbers that that is hard to sort of capture just in a number. And I think that when you talk about forwards, perhaps you can get trapped in those, especially those headline numbers, because goals and assists, we all talk about them. And there's a reason that the goal scorers get paid the most because they do, because it's the hardest thing to do in football is football in the net. But it, it, to use an example that's in my mind, just because it's the one in my mind, we've talked about before on this podcast, just because Chiro Immobile doesn't score as many goals for the national team, does that mean he's useless to the national team? And I would say it doesn't mean that, right? Like he he has a role he can give because of his work ethic, because of the runs he makes, even when he isn't scoring as much. Now, maybe you say that has a lower value than what he does for Lazio, where he's scoring almost a, a goal, a, a goal, well, two goals every three games. So, so, so the numbers get complicated. It's, it's, that's a very long-winded way of saying the numbers get complicated. I think... The other point that that's in my head, and I think I think I talked about this last week on the main episode of the podcast, is this sort of other really complicating factor for clubs of sunk cost versus the cost of signing in someone new. When you have someone who's already at your club, 
the cost to extend their contract, give them a new contract is relative to bringing in someone from outside the club, almost always lower. Because with someone from outside the club, you've got to pay a transfer fee and you still have to pay their wages on top. Even if you found someone on a free transfer who you like, you're probably going to pay a, a, a big chunky signing on bonus to their agent or somewhere else. So you have additional costs over the cost of keeping someone who you already have. So all of these complications get really, com- all of these um, considerations get really complicated and layered is what I'm kind of trying to say. And I don't know if I can give you a simple answer of at what point clubs should do it. At the same time, I think I agree with where you're coming from because uh, it seems like what you're getting at, Michael, is that you think that Juventus maybe should not be still paying Dybala the amount they are for the production he's getting. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but you you sort of brought that in with, by mentioning the conversation we had. And um, I might agree with you in that individual case. I just think that every case in the end is complicated and gets considered on lots of merits that maybe are not all the ones even that we end up talking about as journalists. And perhaps that's a, a fault on our part as well. I think this is why we have sporting directors and really now it shouldn't just be one man but it should be like a probably a three-man job sort of a a, a united squad that discuss things and and all have something or or a special superpower you know somebody who's really good at scouting somebody who understands what a player needs to give all over um how much you know financial financially how much it costs the club so if you have that those types of players sorry directors club level then this all becomes easier because I agree in terms of stats I mean actually Benzema Korean Benzema who is my favorite forward and has been for very many 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 years now I've spoken about him at length in every opportunity I get but for me he's a way far and away the best striker I think he's better than anyone in the world um and not because he scores a lot of goals because he will be outdone by the likes of and has been by Luis Suarez obviously Robert Lewandowski Lewandowski is great, but what Benzema does is he's happy to be a facilitator, to be the man that delivers, to play the in the final third and actually allow Gareth Bale and Ronaldo to be the excellent finishers that they were at Real Madrid. He is happy to be a false number nine. He is happy to be anything that you want him to be. He just wants to make the team better. But sometimes statistically, if you look at assists or goals, it's not as much as, say, you would expect from another number nine, especially if you're comparing him to something like Lewandowski. But there is so much to consider here, right? Um, and he spoke about it. He said, I've always been good, but you guys just notice me now because there's no Ronaldo, so now I have to finish. And so obviously my goal rates are better because I get to finish. You know, I'm playing. But what he's done for Vinicius Jr., yes. I mean, what he's done to elevate the level of, and, and the game that the rest of the team do, what he does to elevate the game in the final third, um, that's what makes the difference. And and I think for me, that is what I look for in my players is what they can do to make the team better. One of the reasons why I was such a fan of Carlos Tevez, I wasn't on, when he was under Antonio Conte. I thought he was pretty selfish and it was really annoying me in the Champions League when he was trying to score a goal because he needed to satisfy his own statistics because he hadn't scored in the Champions League for a while. But what I love so much about him is that Allegri made him a more selfless player. And when he brought in Morata and passed to him so that Morata can score, you've just bumped up the confidence level of a young kid. You have shown yourself to be a, a selfless player who wants the team to win rather than yourself. You have brought unity 
I mean, it, it's simple things. It's like Pirlo doing a panenka on Joe Hart changed the overall attitude of the Italian national team in that penalty shootout against England in Euro 2012. I want that kind of game, that kind of player, you know. And stats, I mean, I think Opta changed the way or they were looking at ways in which they can change stats because at the end of the day, when Germany won the Champions sorry, Champions League, when they won the World Cup in 2014, many, many people from the eye test could see that it was all because of Hadira and Cruz, the way that they masterminded that midfield and, and understood their duties and helped elevate the game and secure them from a defensive point of view while contributing so much in attack. And yet on a statistical level, you don't know how to show that. How can you reflect that? How can you reflect their, their importance on the match? And, and that's why, I guess, in other ways, we've been looking at ways that we can see how stats or what we can see from midfielders is making the difference. With Dybala, my issue with him, I think when you analyze the player, you have to look at a bunch of things. One of them is what he can do to keep driving the team forward. I just remember a hideous game under Pirlo, and I feel like it was against Fiorentina, but I'm it was against Fiorentina last season. But Chiesa was just a one-man team. I mean, he he was so desperate to win that match. It was like, come hello, high water, we're going to get a point, you know? And it's that kind of thing. It's like never say die attitude is so important. Um, you know, it is the PLO scoring, that that type of panenka to raise the the overall confidence of the team. That is on a mental level, the the feeling, the desire to go far. That for me is worth 10 million. You know, I'm happy to pay that leadership quality. I also like people who feel attached to the shirt, but genuinely feel attached to the shirt in the way that Dries Mertens is. And not every year we're discussing your relationship with the new coach. You know, get over it. This is why I'm very critical of players like Insigne. Oh, so what's your relationship? And every year he does an interview in which just like a few weeks ago when he discussed, well... Sari was this and Ancelotti was that. And no, you are a club icon. You don't discuss that. You discuss what you can give to the team. And and for me, like Tonali taking a pay cut, I would want to give him something as a bonus after that because these performances, his his devotion to the club shirt, that matters overall. And another thing that matters is progression. I don't need you to be the final product. Dybala doesn't have to be Ronaldo to earn 10 million. He just needs to show me that every year he's doing something more than he did the year before. Vlaovic every year shows us, and he's just a kid, but off you know, off the ball, on the ball, his finishing, his his quality of play and what he elevates in the final third, you know, shoot from left foot, try, you know, try something with the right foot, whatever it is. It's Zidane went a whole season just trying to shoot from, you know from his weaker foot to just to prove to himself that he can do it progression I don't need you to win the Champions League but I need every year my coach to show me that my team is getting better and I think that's what we need to pay for and I think that's the point of having a sporting director it is the eye test it is trying to see what you're giving me and to make sure that whatever happens you always act professionally and by that you don't throw your players under uh, you know uh, under a bus if you're a coach but if you're a player you don't just get angry if you don't get your own way you don't walk off you don't leave and in a half to the dressing room if you have been taken off as a sub these things matter and the only way you can get away with bad behavior is if you're giving me Ronaldo's goals otherwise go away excellently put excellently put Mina I've got one more question for us. Okay. From 
Sanad Talmaki, who replied, who tweeted us on Twitter, I think, after watching Inter versus Venezia and how quickly the fans in the stadium went from cheering to whistling and booing, I wanted to get your take in, on fans in Italy versus other leagues. Are fans in Italy more fickle and turn on their team more quickly? San, Sanat used the hashtag Chronicles Q&A, which is how you get your Q&A questions picked up by us on Twitter. So please do uh, include that hashtag. Mina, what do you think? Thanks, Sanat. Um, okay. I do think Italian fans are notoriously, uh, let's just say, more demanding. You know, I mean, I think a lot of the times when uh, coaches talk about the Premier League or the beauty of the Premier League is that is that fans really stick behind their teams. You know, they, they really try to egg them on. They really, like, encourage them. Whereas in Italy, everyone has got such a low tolerance for any form of, like, anything they see that they don't like, it immediately results in lots of booing, lots of, oh, this is terrible, you know? And also, I think that's reflected in the media. The media in England, for example, where we live, it's very important where I've realized now when I'm doing American or I'm doing English or I'm doing anything European, how I'm allowed to speak. I'm so used to giving my opinion, being, oh, I think he's rubbish, you know? That's not really tolerated in English TV, and I've got a bad lesson at that, (laughs) you know? Because when I go on radio, I'd be like, I don't think it's that good. And over here, people are a lot more forgiving a lot more encouraging of their players, a lot more of, um, of course, that doesn't mean that they're they're always, you know, crazy about their their players and about their coach. We've seen Arsenal get angry at Arsenal Wenger eventually and Ole got sacked. And But there is a somewhat nice way of going about it that you don't have in Italy. I remember Ricardo Quaresma said that on a mental health level, like Inter was really hard because it was like, you're new to the country and any little mistake he made would result in, get out of my club, you don't know how to play football, and just lots of abuse. And then there's shows that give you like capiradoro, you know, like you just your bar, like basically like, you know, awards for being the worst on the pitch or the worst transfer or the worst whatever it is, like Aaron Ramsey, you know. And so they are horrible. Incidentally, Gianluca Viali argues that because it is such a demanding culture, in which even kids are not allowed to make mistakes at any level. This is why Italy wins World Cups, is because when they do reach the big matches, when it is the world stage, when they are united, they don't feel the pressure like anyone else does. For them, it's just another day. Um, They know tomatoes will come. They know they will be hated. But you know what? It's life, and they got used to it at a young age, and it created stronger characters. And they won the World Cup, what, four times? Three times? Four. Four. four it's times. definitely yeah. four, Mina. Four times. <laughs> and twice in Europe. Yeah. So yeah. I think, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's worked for them. But I, I kind of like the the intolerant fan base sometimes. <laughs> I think it's a bit more nuanced than that. Um, I suppose, again, having been a fan of Arsenal, I've seen some pretty uh, entitled fandom at times at, at Emirates Stadium, which is a stadium that is not necessarily one that is always uh, the loudest in general, but like certainly there's been some times, I would say, uh, that the tail end of the Arsene Wenger era and into the, the post period, maybe it's getting a bit better now, but I think there's been some times when the fan base has been very quick to turn during games and and uh, to, to, to sort of a mood to get quite um, down on players very quickly and, you know, without wanting to dip, turn this into the, the Premier League Chronicles <laughs> podcast. You know, I think there's, there's, there's you know, situations like Emmanuel Abue being reduced to tears. I think there's certainly 
And Arsenal right, aren't you're unique right. in that. I think there's, there's certainly um, uh, fan bases in England that can be quite savage with their own players at times. And conversely, I think that I think that the ultras culture in, in Italy has has two sides. It's a, it's a, a double edged sword. I, I agree with you that um, there is an element that's very, very hard. And I think it's interesting that the example you cited was Kalishma because, of course, I think that sort of harshness, that sort of unforgivingness is probably applied more harshly, more stridently to people who are, I guess, for one of another way of putting it, I guess, outsiders to begin with. I think if you, I'm trying to sort of draw a contrast between someone who is a player who is signed by a club from a foreign country to, for instance, at the extreme end of Francesco Totti in Rome, who I think at times was forgiven anything. You know what I mean? Maybe not by everyone, but I think yeah. that there are elements in the Italian fan base that can be like that, that can be like certain people who are considered one of us are given a lot of uh, rope, a lot of leeway, and people who are not within the culture. And it doesn't have to be someone from a foreign country. I suppose even some of the various managers who came in and tried to manage Totti found very quickly because Totti was the fan favorite and they weren't, that the speed with which the ultras would turn on them uh, to defend Totti would happen in a heartbeat. Yeah. So I think it's but can I just it's ask just you? complicated with, with, with the ultra culture. Sorry, yeah. Is it, is it because Totti is Totti, like a, you know, sort of like a, an icon of football, like, you know, Badger, that kind of thing? Totti's an extreme example, an extreme example for sure. And so do you think that it would still be this way, like, let's say if, I mean, I mean, Romagnoli, right, is captain of Milan, and yet when he does badly, he's heavily booed, right? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. Like, it's, it's too simple to say it's just like, oh, if you're, I'm, I'm sort of drawing one part of it yeah. out with the sort of, are you from... In, in or the in or out group, but I think there's a, there's a sort of bigger part of it, which is, I I just think it it really depends on in a bigger way these that in a sort of more direct way there's these relationships that 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 unfold between even specific ultra groups because ultras are not united and clubs at times, and I think you see these situations where ultras will almost make demands, frankly, of clubs. Like, you know, you see these sort of semi-regular meetings outside, or at least you did pre-COVID times, outside training camps. We want this sort of attitude, we want that. And sometimes you get these sort of negotiated truces almost, where you get ultras telling telling uh, coaches or, or players, we want to see this more of this from you. And in return, we will guarantee you our support. And, and I've seen games, Mina, sort of to draw a contrast with, with what's being sort of suggested here by Sanat. I've seen games where you you see the home team concede in Italy and the ultras don't miss a beat. They literally will be singing whatever song they're singing, the drums are going, the, the chants are going, the goal goes in and it's like nothing changes inside the stadium because yeah. they just keep going. They just press over it. And that's because they're making a show of something. They're making a show of, no, we've said we're going to do this and we're going to do it. So I think yeah. it's it's just... It's it's more complicated because because it's dominated in the end by the ultras. What we're talking about, and we're talking about this more fickle culture or not, it's it's hard to answer because there's not one fan culture in Italy. There's your average tifoso who goes to the fan, the stadium and, and watches the game, but there's the ultras who are much louder and who tend to be what we notice inside the stadium and what we um, draw from. And and I just think those dynamics 
I'm not disagreeing with a sort of broader point. They probably are more fickle in general, but there are there's there's more that goes on there than there is. I would say certainly with Premier League clubs. Yeah, but I guess in the overriding, you know, like going back to the question, like Inter versus Venezia. I mean, Inter have been so astonishingly mm-hmm. good now for over a year, so it's a little bit. I mean, would you? I don't know, like as in the cheering and the booing and the you know, God, come on, like get this done. Do you feel like if Manchester City didn't have the game of their lives that there'd be anything like that? See, Manchester City, I feel like are a, a particular example as well because they have a reputation in England of not having the most sort of uh, yeah. big and enthusiastic fan base, don't they? So that's a whole kettle of fish. I don't know if I want to get involved in, to be honest. Okay, I mean, I'm just saying, okay, like, well, Liverpool, well, you see, this is what I mean. I feel like people stand by their teams a lot more. I mean, even when Ole, like, I mean, with all due respect, yeah, like, Pirlo comes into Juventus, like, we know he's not very experienced. And it was like, hashtag Pirlo out within like the third week, yeah? And I was like, oh my God, everyone, you're defending him because it's Pirlo and I was defending him, you know? And there were just lots and lots of horrible comments aimed at him to the extent that his son had to come onto social media to explain things. But Ole at the wheel, I mean, the, the performances were hideous considering the squad they have, yeah? I just, I feel like they, they were all saying, get out. And they were all saying we don't want, you know, Solskjaer in charge of our club. But there was still an element of politeness about it. And everyone was still like, you know, doing the heartbreak, like goodbye departure. You know, thank you so much for, for having coached our team. And you brought us all back together. And there's a, there's a lot more love is what I think sometimes than you, than you get in Italy. I think, I think that's, a, that's a valid, um, it's a valid uh point i i'm not disagreeing with you yeah I, I just yeah i just wanted to sort of give us some some sort of um yeah you're right about the nuance, nuance i guess but um but I, I don't disagree with you sort of broadly and i think that's a really nice example actually between solshire and 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 pillar because they both have this sort of iconic player status and and that element i suppose the solshire is a bit more embedded at manchester united yeah. than than pillow is because pillow had a great end to his career at Juventus, but he wasn't there forever i agree with that yeah, you. I mean, you really do look at Solskjaer as Manchester United, whereas Peel is like Inter Milan, <laughs> Juve. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But we hope you enjoyed the Serie A Chronicles Q&A. My hunger levels have now reached, you know, like ridiculous levels. So I'm about to... Let the woman <laughs> eat. Let her eat. And I'm You're all keep, people. all of you listening, you're all complicit in stopping me from eating today. It's not true. It's not your fault. It's our fault. I'm really messing with you. I mean, I've reached levels where I'm no longer hungry. I'm hangry. So <laughs> in order to avoid a fight between me and Nikki or me and I now produce Simon or anyone really who lives in this household, um, when, when I finally get to break out, um, yes, I'm, I'm starting to become mean. So check out our new website at setthechronicles.com to find all our episodes, reviews, and to contact us. And you can find the link to become a Chronicles Tufoso on Patreon to get access to exclusive podcast episodes and bonus content, which we are busily planning. Get your questions in on Twitter at Seria Cronpod with the hashtag Chronicles Q&A, just like Sanat did, or email us or send a voice message via our website. We're going to give priority to our Chronicles Tufosi members for Q&A questions. Like Jill! Find both of us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini, at Mina Rizuki, and subscribe to the Setia Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show. 
Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm off to eat the biggest pizza I can find. Ciao for now and thank you to you all. And of course, to Nikki Bandini. Ciao. I really am going to go and find the biggest pizza. Mina eating pizza. Pizza's carbs. Mina doesn't eat carbs. Mina eats steaks. Yeah, I really am. I'm going to find a steak. That's a much better thing. Where's delivery? right at the end there I got, I got a text message about an interview run it away I'm going to be speaking to in fact Pioli on Thursday oh that's cool yeah yay exciting huh very exciting well done love sports social podcast network with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.